Hey Bliss Seekers, and welcome to your online home away from home. A place where we marry ancient wisdom and modern science, so we dispel the woo-woo of spirituality to help you find authentic health, balance, and bliss. I'm your host, Ari, a specialist registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, embodiment coach, and modern mystic. I've trained with the world's leading experts in psychology, mindfulness, and behavior change. And I am a recovered perfectionist, overachiever, and self-development junkie on a mission to help you stop being your own worst critic, to finally step into your authenticity, and return to wholeness through mind, body, and spirit integration. This is a place where imperfection is celebrated. So grab a cup of cacao, coffee, matcha, or whatever you fancy, and inhale deeply through your nose and out your mouth, and get ready to live in alignment. You're listening to Align with Ari. This episode is brought to you by my embodiment toolkit, your one-stop shop to return home to your body and rebuild trust and connection with your inner wisdom, which is already inherent to you. Embodiment is an ongoing practice. It is something we need to continue to nurture every single day to help us become our most confident, happy, and authentic selves. So at the foundation of healing, if we think about it, we've been given this beautiful dense matter of a body to work through and feel emotion and to connect with something greater for our soul's journey. So in this toolkit, you can find various resources to meet you where you're at, whether that be breath workshops, yin yoga, yoga nidra, some gentle movement, in the day to reconnect with your body or perhaps maybe more ecstatic movement such as shaking, swaying, dancing. It also includes a daily landing meditation and a workshop on your nervous system getting close and personal with the sensations and a brief introduction to embodiment work. So what we know is when we reconnect with our bodies, we awaken our emotional intelligence and recalibrate our inner compass that knows exactly what we need, how much, and when. This is the foundation to living a healthy, aligned, and blissful life. So if you're into it, head over to my website, www.arianarodriguez.com forward slash embodiment dash toolkit and get your access to the embodiment toolkit so you can return home to your body every single day. Hello, lovely bliss seeker, and welcome back to another episode of Align with Ari, the podcast, a place where we marry ancient wisdom and modern science for your soul's evolution. In today's episode, we are exploring all things past lives. This is something I love, love, love to geek out on, and I know I, yeah, me and my friends love to dive into this and hypothesize based on our past experience, you know, our experiences, based on our relationships. You know, I have a really good friend. She is literally a soul sister and I call her my sister. And I always, you know, I'm intuitively, I always tell her, I'm like, I know I've had many past lives with you. We must have been sisters in a past life, quite literally. And because we're just so close. And so, you know, sometimes how you just have this instant connection with someone. Or you might feel like you know them or like there's a familiarity to them. This might potentially indicate a past life that you've had with them. And, you know, it might be an indication. So there are hypotheses that suggest that souls reincarnate together in groups. And so then the people we have in our lives, whether it be our best friends, our romantic partners, our parents family members, key players, mentors, whatever, whoever it might be that play a significant, you know, role in our lives at present might have been also significant in 
many lives that we've had. And so, of course, this idea of past lives brings up this notion of reincarnation. And right, the premise must be that reincarnation exists in order for past life therapy to quote-unquote work. So, of course, there's not something we can quote-unquote prove, right? However, it is something that time and time again in many reported cases indicate that it is highly probable. Now, what I find interesting and something that really led me to dive into this field, this work, this body of literature more closely was the fact that notable psychiatrists and psychologists, social workers themselves who actually, you know, work at reputable institutions such as Columbia University, Yale University, University of Virginia, actually do research and they're finding compelling evidence to suggest that there is a relationship between what we might experience or images we might see or memories we might recollect with that of past lives. There's also a lot of research in what's called near-death experiences. So for individuals who might find themselves in a comatose state in this life and then come back, there's actually quite a lot of in the many, many thousands of cases that have have been researched, there are a lot of overlapping and common experiences really suggesting that there is something beyond this life and suggesting that consciousness extends beyond the physical body and the physical realm that we see with our naked eye. Now, in particular, you know, before I dive into Dr. Jennifer Williams, her background and who she is, because I had such a great, great privilege and pleasure of speaking with her today in today's interview, but I really want to emphasize some notable researchers that, you know, if you're taken, you know, you're kind of suits your fancy, you want to dive into it a bit more and you want to read some books, if that's something that you're called to do after today's episode, I will just highlight a few researchers. The first one who really is probably one of the ones, you know, his work has been with us for quite some time and actually then was taken over by another famous researcher that we now know of. But his name is Ian Stevenson, and he was a psychiatrist working at the Virginia University, and he found a very tight correlation between birthmarks and birth defects that corresponded to wounds of the people whom individuals with those defects hypothesized to be reincarnations. So what he found is about 35% of children who claim to remember previous lives have birthmarks or defects that they attribute to the wounds they suffered by a person whom they were in an earlier existence. So Stevenson actually researched hundreds of children. And in many of these cases, there was a really tight overlap. And then a researcher by the name of Dr. Jim Tucker took over a lot of this research and he too has found and continues to find and he reports that they get reports, over a hundred reports per year of parents reporting that their children are recollecting past life experiences. And of course, once they come into contact with these families, they then do their research and begin to find tight correlations between what a child might report as a lived experience. They might even remember names of who they were or how they died. And those experiences actually line up with news articles that these children in no way would have been able to know of about these at their age and just based on the level of detail that was reported and that lines up with like archives that were found. So really fascinating stuff. It's kind of something that just really piqued my interest. Maybe it piques yours too. And then of course, the works of who we're going to speak a bit more about in terms of his work was Dr. Brian Weiss. And he is the author of a really fantastic book that I cannot recommend enough. I literally read this book in two days. I could not put put it down. And it's called Many Lives, Many Masters. And Dr. Weiss 
and his daughter Amy Weiss actually wrote a, another book called Miracles Happen, The Transformational Healing Power of Past Life Memories. And in this book is where Dr. Jennifer Williams, who we speak to today, is featured and she reports her lived experience in, do, in, in, in exploring her a past life that she visited spontaneously, as you will hear. And Dr. Jennifer Williams has actually been trained by Brian Weiss himself, and he is a leader in this area in past life work and research, and he's based at Yale University. So this is, you know, this isn't just kind of all theory, it's being researched heavily. As we've mentioned before on the podcast, of course, healing happens in the present moment. However, past lives can really offer perspective, framework, or insight that may offer the possibility to create meaning. And meaning-making, we are meaning-making machines, and it can be incredibly helpful to just to understand where we're coming from. And the mere act, as we'll explore with Dr. Williams today, of understanding can in and of itself be healing. Now, today we speak with Dr. Williams, who is a licensed clinical social worker, trauma-focused psychotherapist, a clinical hypnotherapist, researcher, and university professor with over 25 years of experience. Dr. Williams is internationally sought after for her integrative, trauma-focused clinical expertise. As a certified clinical trauma professional, as well as a certified integrative medicine trauma treatment therapist, she sees clients from around the world that travel to work with her and get to the root cause of their presenting problems. She is trained in EMDR, clinical hypnosis, regression therapy, MBSR, heart math, neurofeedback, and integrative medicine and nutrition. And she integrates this knowledge into her clinical practice, teaching, research, and consultation. She derives passion from utilizing holistic modalities in her therapeutic work with clients. And let me tell you, this passion shines through in our conversation today. So today we're going to be exploring reincarnation and past lives. Dr. Williams' journey to past life therapy and her past life experiences, the relationship between trauma and past lives, the neurobiology of trauma, how understanding past lives can support healing, the difference between top-down versus bottom-up healing, and we wrap up with energy medicine and how it pertains to healing trauma. So buckle up because this is a fantastic episode that I cannot wait for you to listen into. And until then, I will see you on the other side. Enjoy. Hello and welcome, Dr. Jennifer Williams. It is great to have you here with me on the podcast. How are you today? Thank you. I'm well. How about yourself? So well. So well. Better now. Great. I'm excited about this conversation. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to diving into past lives. This is, you know, your bread and butter, shall we say. And I'm so grateful that we were able to be connected through Amy Weiss, who's written a book that I know you've taken a part of as well by Dr. Brian Weiss, a leader in this area, as well as Amy, his daughter. And so it's really what brings us to meet and share this present moment together today. <laughs> grateful for it. Yeah. And so grateful for her recommending yeah. me to talk about this. Yes. Amazing. So before we dive into this lovely world of reincarnation of past lives and how this might be a really helpful modality to support our healing journey in this present life. I wonder if you can tell us a bit about who you are and what brought you to this speciality, this area of work. So yeah, it's a really interesting sort of story and evolution and through personal experience has brought me to continue to learn. So I'm a clinical social worker. I have a bachelor's, a master's, and a PhD in social work. And I'm a psychotherapist and been in practice for a long time, for over 25 years. And early in my career, no one ever taught us about the mind and body connection. You were prepared, you were taught and trained to 
sit and hold space for others, others who are going through trauma. No one ever prepared me in any way for anything called stress and burnout. And in fact, that was considered to be pretty weak. If you had that, then you weren't able to do this work. So very early in my career, I started to have physical symptoms. Now, one thing that's really important to know is that I also, at the time, was a fitness instructor, very in tune with my body, with healthy eating. I did meditation, and it was just very important to me to take care of my physical and mental health as well. So I started to have some physical symptoms that made me so sick, it actually had me passing out. And I began a journey of going to every medical doctor that's known, had every single test, and basically came back and they said, there's nothing wrong with you. It's in your head. Go figure it out. And then I was given a diagnosis of syncope. I know, right? (laughs) Because I didn't meet their checkoff boxes. Right. And what I've learned is that that's just who I've learned who I am, as nothing in my life has ever sort of been with the checkoff boxes and dedicated my career to exploring and learning more about that. So it's a really interesting thing. I had, at the time, I was working at Florida International University, and I had a really amazing professor come up to me. And she sort of whispered in my ear, I know this really good astrologist and energy healer. Why don't you go try that out? And I was like, you know, I'm completely open to it. I, that's mm-hmm. a whole other conversation for another day. So I'd already been raised by a mom in a family that was very open to channeling and energy. Mm-hmm. Didn't quite understand it and know it and had my own experiences when I was a kid. But now I'm in academia, and now I'm moving forward, and I'm really trying to stay to the science of everything. So it was really kind of funny. When this professor came over, I was open to it. Sure. That started me on this whole entire path Mm. of trying to understand myself. I went to astrology. I went into energy work. And became a a Reiki master. I then delved into past life regression. And I read many lives, many masters. And I read all of the books. And I said, this is fascinating. I actually never was able to have a regression myself. I was never able actually to regress. But I decided I was going to go in and get trained in it. So I went into training and with the Weisses, with Brian and, and his wife, and became trained in it and started doing all of this work. So that's sort of how it began, where I just started to go and delve into a deeper reflection of myself and how this was helping. And interestingly, it did. I yeah. stopped having physical symptoms. I stopped having, you know, passing out. I was more resilient I saw things in a more creative, outside-the-box, loving way, and it got me excited. And I said, I've got to continue to find more about this. So that worked. And then, so there were two other really turning points in my life that I think would be interesting. And one of them is written about in Amy and Brian's book, Miracles Happen. So shortly after that, I started to have in the bottom left side of my stomach, like a little white, little rashy area, like a Mm. rash. And I went to the dermatologist and the dermatologist didn't know what it was. It didn't hurt. It didn't itch. It just was there. And so we started with certain treatments. It wasn't going away. In fact, it was growing. And finally, the dermatologist said to me, listen, I need you to do this cream for a month. I'm concerned that it's growing. So if it doesn't work and it continues to grow, we're going to do a biopsy of it because I think it might be something more serious. Wow. You don't want to hear that when you're at any stage, but (laughs) right. And so, okay. So around that same time, my husband went to a massage therapist 
who does energy and healing work. He called me up and he said, listen, you've got to come see her. I also have TMJ, by the way. Mm. And he says, she's a miracle worker. You've got to go and see her. No problem. So I go and I have a session and I lay down for what I think is going to be TMJ. Right. And I get very, very relaxed. And all of a sudden, I start having these images of being in a Viking lifetime. I began feeling pregnant. I began feeling pregnant. I had not been pregnant in this lifetime. I could Mm. feel it. I literally was resting my hands on my belly. And over actually a couple of hours, what emerged was that I had been impregnated. I was a young child. Mm-hmm. been impregnated by my father in that lifetime and thrown onto an island and left to die. And wow. the feeling of despair was downloaded. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I remembered finding a sword, taking a sword and stabbing it into my belly. Now, I, at the time, I couldn't remember. I couldn't. I didn't know if it was to kill myself or the baby or both. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it scared me. Of course. Unfortunately, the person that was working with me wasn't quite skilled. This was the first time she had experienced something like this. Right. Uh, So she didn't really understand what to do. And there's some ethics behind that. And that also Mm -hmm. fueled my work today. So I'll get back to that in a second. So I stab myself. I open my eyes. I awake. And I realize that where I stab myself is the exact place where that rash is. So, can't believe it. I look down, and it seems like the rash is already a little bit less. Wow. So, I call my husband. I say, You're not going to believe this. (laughs) I'm trained in doing regressions on others. I can do it on others. I've tried it. I've tried it in Brian's. I've tried individually with numerous people. It's never worked. You're not going to believe this. (laughs) I just had a past life regression. In my massage, T- you know, TMJ oh session. Because <laughs> you're kidding. I'm like, I've, I'm going to tell you all the details when I get home. It took me about 45 minutes to get home. And when I pulled down my pants to show him where the rash was, it was already significantly smaller. Wow. We talked about it. I told him. We went to bed. It was at night. I went to bed. I woke up the next morning. I promise you, it was gone. And it was, oh it goodness. has never come back ever so These you know it's one every thing time. <laughs> it's even more when you experience it yes I right like it's so powerful when you're reading other people's experiences that they mm-hmm. have this sort of healing how in the world does that happen that's you know, right i loosen it <laughs> i do it for others but now i'm physically experiencing it So you can imagine that Mm -hmm. that set me off and got me even more excited (laughs) and unraveling the science, unraveling everything of how this could be the case. But also remembering Mm -hmm. I'm now in academia and I'm Mm -hmm. moving even more into academia. And even though there was a professor that said, yeah, we don't talk about that stuff exactly so right it, mm-hmm. right this is mm-hmm. it, it today is a completely different day i am so excited to be able to even have this conversation openly because even in south florida where i'm at it was still a sort of you walk up the back of the door knock on the door what's the password right oh, exactly. you're one of those come on in yeah right yeah, we didn't talk about this stuff yeah that's right. And that's why I was so surprised to hear that you had that professor that even whispered that in, you know, that notion of guiding you towards <laughs> those modalities that is, you know, ooh, wow, yeah. wow, definitely cutting edge. <laughs> it was cutting edge. And I think in some ways, some sort of divine intervention. I mean, it was yes. meant to be. It was almost like, you know, and this particular professor was known for being really outside of the box. So it aligned with her. She is great. But I don't know that I would have as deeply explored Mm -hmm. these modalities had I in some way been given permission. You know, she 
I hear and you. Nothing mm. against this, but the thought was that a lot of people that do this sort of stuff, they just looked different and believed differently than I did. And, you know, it was almost like I was given permission. I didn't have to wear tie-dye. I didn't have to go and sit That's on right. a, a hill. Get dreadlocks and, uh, you know, and, <laughs> wear sandals yeah, and or, right, eat brown rice. Smoke you know? <laughs> or, you know, do yeah. incense and, and right. you know, and rock back and forth for a while. Like I didn't mm-hmm. have to do, although, you know, all of that is beautiful. And I love incense and I love mm-hmm. meditation. Mm-hmm. And when I have the time to do an hour, absolutely I do it. But yeah. The other passion that I bring into this is that it needs to be accessible mm-hmm. and done in a way that we can integrate it into real people's lives, right? So there's mm-hmm. another aspect of that. There's one more thing. Yes. That tell. happens. So <laughs> yeah. Talk for everybody. I love this. I really feel the passion and it gets me excited too. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. So that happened and I start to really more further explore this and, and delve deeper into helping others to heal. The part that I wanted to say about the ethics is this person, the downside to this is that this person that guided me through this, she was having an experience for the first time on her own. She didn't speak English very well, which was totally fine. I spoke enough Spanish. She spoke enough English so that we could communicate. But when it went deeper into needing to really explore what that was all about, and more importantly, the download of depression that I was given as a result of this. And the reason why was because I didn't go through the death scene. I didn't properly Mm. go through all of that and understand it. I recognized people in that lifetime, just horrific things that happened. And even my story, I didn't give all of the details in the book. Recognizing those players in this lifetime, recognizing this baby, recognizing that I was a child myself and had Mm. been raped and there was incest and there's just all of this other terrible Mm -hmm. stuff that as a therapist, I had dealt with others who had experienced this, but I had never experienced that in this lifetime. And in fact, quite the exact opposite. Mm. And so I'm downloaded with this depression. And she told me later that she continued to do this in that session and prolong it because it was novel. It was fascinating to her. By the way, she was also seeing what I was experiencing. So it was new experience to her as well. And she wanted to play around with it. Mm. But you don't play around with people's feelings. And especially that kind of, right? Now, did it Mm -hmm. have an amazing physical response? Absolutely. But emotionally now, I didn't know what to do with it. Mm. Now, I'm a therapist who's trained right. in past life regression therapy. I right. teach others. I'm not new when this exactly. happened. Well, I was not, That's not right. really new. So imagine just the lay and, person who has no idea. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it angered. Yeah. And, you know, that's why we've got to have ethics. Yeah. That's why you have to be trained because if a clinician who's trained in it believes in it is having a hard time with the download of depression because she didn't accurately go through it. And no one could tell me what to do. And I couldn't go to normal therapists and go, my gosh, you're not going to believe this. Right. They won't. And at the time, you know, they may have hospitalized me for that. Like she's Mm -hmm. these thoughts Mm -hmm. and these other things. Right. So, You know, I then went on an even deeper exploration into healing and energy and started to heal through that. But then I, at that point, once I healed from that, I vowed to take this work forward and train therapists and encourage people who want to go in and explore their past lives to really understand it from a therapeutic perspective. I have a lot of people that come to me that just want to experience, just mm-hmm. want to experience what it was like. Oh, I feel really connected to my kid. I really feel connected to this partner. My soul made him looking for this. I'd love to see 
and I'll do it and I do it and I have people come from all over all over the world that come and and have a session or two with me but I tell them I'm a therapist and my ethics come first and there is the potential that we're going to take you back and really get to the root cause of some of the stuff that you're dealing with today yeah it's not something that we can necessarily get to in a session Right. Because we're going to need to process it and work through it and work and through those changes And I imagine there are many lifetimes too. Right. Yes. And there can be many lifetimes where that happens. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So before yeah. we dive into the relationship with healing and revisiting those past lives, I'm just curious, going back to the massage therapist who wasn't trained in this particular area, wasn't a therapist, didn't know how to support you in the feelings that were come up, coming up as well as integrating, right? Because it sounds like, of course, when we experience something like that, That's right. it's, That's it's right. that integration piece, which is so important to emphasize. At the same, yeah. and, you know, and I'm kind of curious because it sounds like it was almost a spontaneous experience for you. So I wonder, how does one visit a past life if, if it's not through regression? Does it just happen spontaneously when you're very relaxed? Can it happen, you know, I know I think yep. I believe I've experienced dreams that have been past lives as well. And, you know, in that sense. So I wonder if you can speak to how do we know something is a past life without necessarily going to through the regression um, pathway at this, you know, we'll visit that in just a moment. I think that's an excellent question. How do we know? And I'm going to say it's all about feeling. Mm. Let me go back to the first part of your question. Mm -hmm. And there are many different ways to access memories. So typically past life regression is done through hypnosis. Hypnosis quite simply is just a focused state of concentration. That's all it is. I can't make you get up on stage and cluck like a chicken, believe it or not, unless you want to, (laughs) right? So believe it or not, when you see stage therapy, you know, stage hypnotists, not hypnotherapists, hypnotists, that they're looking for specific people, they're looking for certain eye rolls, they're looking at in a group of people who responds to what they're saying, there's going to be people that roll their eyes and be like, you know, okay. Hypnosis quite simply is a focused state of concentration. And when, so I use hypnosis, but I also use more of progressive relaxation and just allowing a person to get into a very relaxed body state. Once we get into a relaxed body state, And we're able to get into the subconscious, the collective unconscious, where all of our memories are stored, right? So I love explaining it like, I'm sure we've all seen that picture of a glacier. There's Mm -hmm. a glacier, right? And the little top part is above the water. And that's our conscious mind. That's our stuff that we're able to recall quickly, pay attention to, look at, that we need to have and recall immediately. But then you've got this other huge part that's underneath the water. And that's our subconscious and unconscious mind. And that's where all the other stuff, that's really what's running the show. That's what's (laughs) steering our ship, right? It's where our trauma is. It's where all of our other experiences exist. And so, you know, I can go into the neuroscience of it and talk a little bit about that. But quite simply, once we get into a relaxed body state, we're more able to open up and recall easily those experiences that are in our subconscious and unconscious mind. So can we do that in regression, um, in hypnotherapy? Absolutely. Do a little hypnosis, talk a little bit about, you know, relaxing your physical body and get you into that space where we're able to bring that forward. But you can do that in massage. You can do that. I'm going to tell you, I also, I'm a trauma therapist as well. And I do a lot of what's called EMDR. And I have had, also personally, (laughs) and also other clients in the midst of looking at their core belief, I'm not good enough, or it's not safe to be me. When we're doing EMDR, they go back to other scenes. Now, how do we know it's a past life? I'm going to be honest. 
it doesn't really matter. Mm. Because if images and other pieces and pictures pop up and it's connected to an emotion, even if it's metaphor, even if it's a movie that you saw, or you think that you saw, even if it's, you know, connected, why of all the things in the world, of all the movies that you've seen, of all the books that you've read, the Midwest comes up or the old <laughs> West comes up. All right, right, let's go with it. Yeah. Because really I'm more guided by the healing than I am about trying to prove that this indeed was a past life regression. But how do we know? Always follow the emotion. The emotion never lies. So if you can follow, I used to say all the time until I really understood the neurobiological component of it, when I would say, I want you to move from here to here. I used to say many, many years ago, I used to say to my clients, like I get, or my students even, I get really yeah. excited when my clients cry. Yes. And oh I know gosh, I'm in the too. emotion. <laughs> right. Yeah. I get you know I cry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because then you're going into that limbic system. Then you're going yes. into the emotion and now we can do some work. Mm. But if you're stuck up in your head, you're stuck in that more analytical left brain process of walking through that, then it's going to be a little bit harder for us to shift and make change. So when I can move you from your head to your heart, when I can move you from here to that emotion, which is a lot of trauma work too, once we get into that emotion, now we know what we can do. And, you know, it's not uncommon for my clients to say, that was wild. <laughs> I don't know that I really believe that, but why would I have gone back to this lifetime? Why would I have done yeah. this? Why would I be in Portugal? Yeah. Follow the emotion. How do you feel? Make those yeah. connections. I really appreciate that that idea that it, it doesn't matter. And at the end of the day, if it's healing, if it provides meaning also, right, is at the end of the day, we're also trying to make sense of our experience, yes. of our lived experience, so that that can then move us forward. So do we really have to know? I really, I like that outlook. I really appreciate right. it. Yeah, thank yes. you. So of course, you know, moving into... We end, you know, past lives, of course, are based on this, this notion, this premise of reincarnation. So we've had many lives. We, you know, so that then tells us, hmm, okay. So then that means there must be some sort of evolution, right? The point is that the soul is evolving. There's a purpose here. And so how can we use this to heal, to support ourselves here and now and for future lives, I imagine, right? So I wonder if you could speak to how we can use past life regressions, past life therapy to heal. How might that come up? Especially, you know, you mentioned doing some trauma work and I'm asking lots of questions. I have so many, so I'm going to try to <laughs> peel it back. But what might a traumatic experience, trauma that we experience presently, how might it be linked to a past life, if at all? So what I have found over the years of me doing this is when people come in with certain traumas, many times it relates to this lifetime, but sometimes it doesn't, or sometimes it is both, like we said before, right? So what I find, and this is what I do a lot in EMDR and trauma work, is based on, all right, what is the issue that you're coming, you know, what is the presenting problem and how is that showing up in your life? What is the image that best represents the worst part of that problem? Think of that image. And when you think of that image, feel the disturbance in your body, right? We're moving from head to heart. And what are the beliefs that you made about yourself and the world as a result of that experience? That takes a lot of work sometimes because people want to, you know, I work with a lot of very high functioning people who have been very good at suppressing any stuff or saying, yeah, that was trauma, but it made me who I am. It's great. But now it starts to seep out in some ways and they're not understanding. So sometimes we have to just pause and allow for the part that went through that worst part of that experience to just be present. Because adults like to rationalize, compartmentalize, and go, I was five. Come up. 
I've had a lot of other experiences since that. No, no, but I want to talk to that part of you. What part of you? So we sometimes have to do a little bit of work with them, but it's usually this core belief. And what I find is once we find the core belief, it's a thread and that thread. So I enter by finding as of right now, think of the image that best represents the bloom for you. What's that image? When you think of it right now, where is it that you start to feel any sort of disturbance in your body? That's how I know that we've got something. If they're not able to connect with the emotion, the feeling, we got to keep looking, right? So once we feel that disconnection, all right, now we start to explore the core belief. What could those core beliefs be? I'm not okay. It's not safe to be me. Okay. Yeah, but I was five. Mm-hmm. Let's look in this lifetime. All those experiences that you've had in this lifetime where it wasn't safe to be you. Oh, okay. All right. So then we'll take that and I'll get them into a relaxed body state and take that core belief back. I want you to go back to the origins of it was not safe to be you. And sometimes, depending on the technique that I utilize, sometimes I'll actually have them say out loud, it's not safe to be me. It's not safe to be me. It's not safe. Feel that disturbance in your body. It's not safe to be me. And then all of a sudden, images pop up where they go all the way back. I'm, you know, I'm in a cave. I'm here. I'm this. And then it just starts to unravel. Taking the core belief and allowing us to go all the way back to the origins of this. I now just say to the origins and they'll go back. The key to healing I have found is that what we want to do is create a coherent narrative. So this is the thing between trauma healing in this lifetime and trauma healing in any other lifetime. Okay. When we experience the trauma and the body responds, Bessel van der Kolk says body keeps the mm-hmm. score. It 100% does. When we experience a trauma, oftentimes the way that our brain and our body are connected and the way that it works, it just cuts up these little memories and little bits and pieces. And so a lot of trauma work therapeutically requires us to, one, get into a relaxed body state, two, go back and find the common thread, and three, bring forward the coherent narrative in a relaxed body state. Now, why is that healing? It's healing because trauma is 90% right hemispheric in the brain. The right hemisphere is for, right? We do a lot more creative feelings, that sort of thing. Trauma is 90% right hemispheric. Like what you just said earlier, In terms of integration, what we want to do is we want to pull that out and, you know, have some integration. So we want integration, the kind of down the middle (laughs) of the head, right? Mm -hmm. So we're looking for integration and we do that by finding a coherent narrative while the person is in a relaxed body state. Because what we do also know is it's physiologically impossible to experience stress in a relaxed body state. That's why hypnosis works. That's why mindfulness works. That's why meditation works. Self-regulation, whatever you want to call it. It works because it relaxes us. And therefore, we're not having that cortisol and adrenaline response when we bring forward. So once we get into a relaxed body state, we bring forward the coherent narrative, look at all of those pieces. And now it looks like to another person who's not trained in it, a miraculous healing has happened by just going back and seeing it. And sometimes it happens, but really the reason what it's happening is because it's allowing a person to put the pieces together. And once we put the pieces together in trauma therapy, we call that integration. Once we integrate it, we're able to then pull it out more from the right hemisphere and integrate that. So yeah, we're able to go back Yeah, I remember I was 11, 12 years old, impregnated back in whatever the Vikings time was. 
yeah, I got pregnant by my father at the time. Yeah, I had all these horrific things happen to me, abandonment. Bah, bah, bah. So that sounds quite Not depressed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. What it sounds like, because I think there's a distinction between almost an embodied understanding, as you mentioned in that relaxed state, right? We must be in the body versus in the mind compared to, would you say it's different from then cognitively understanding something, right? That kind of left hemisphere of the brain, which is typically what we might know of in talk therapy and CBT type work, where it's more kind of, I understand what happened to me and yet it's still affecting me. Whereas what I'm hearing is I feel what happened to me. I've let it move through me. I can acknowledge it and okay. So it sounds like that's the distinction is that embodiment piece, would you say? Beautiful, beautiful, beautifully stated, exactly. And we call that top down versus bottom up, Mm -hmm. right? And so the old traditional modalities, these old traditional modalities, which I you know, shared with my dean, I'm really not interested in teaching any longer, although therapists (laughs) need to know that. And they are efficacious. We know that cognitive behavioral therapy works. We know that there that a lot of this stuff, there's great research to show that it works. It takes time though. Why? Because it's top down. Tell me how you feel about that. How did Mm. that feel? What we know is with trauma, because of the embodied nature of it, right? Because it does find itself in the body, the way the brain works, bottom up. That's what we call bottom up therapies. And we know this to be the case. We cannot, we cannot heal from trauma by just overthinking it, by just thinking about and trying to override it. The information that we know today, maybe I I love this. I I did a training about 12 years ago with a psychologist named Louis Cozzolino. And I always use this quote because he was so fantastic. He said, listen, folks, The stuff we're going to learn about today in neurobiology, it's true today. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to casually date it. I don't want you to marry it because there's (laughs) going to be new science and new research that comes along and it's going to change. So this information, we're not going to marry it today. You're going to learn it. You're going to casually date it because there's going to be some new information that comes along. And that's just how I sort of am all the time. 25 years I've been doing this work and I'm always learning, learning more. There's going to be more information that comes along, right? So what we know today is that bottom-up work and that we have to go into integration. That yes, there, and I'm not saying there's no space for it. Of course, there's space for supportive therapy. There's space for, you know, how did you feel about that? Everybody's in their own individual space a little differently, but for real trauma work, Real trauma work, we've got to work on that integration and we've got to first go into bottom up, getting somebody to be able to be safe in their body and be in a relaxed body state. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I hear you and I definitely second that motion. It's something that I myself have been diving much more into somatic work and learning how to feel. And that brings up that the nervous system. And I wonder if you can touch on, Jennifer, a bit of that, you know, as you mentioned, that neurobiology you know, I know you're keen on the science, the neurobiology of trauma, and then what happens when someone, you know, what happens when someone experiences a past life and moves through that healing? Is there research on this at this time? I know you're super into the academic, so I'm wondering if there's research to support what happens on a physiological level. Is there research to support what happens on a physiological level when people go through regression? Mm. I have not read it. Mm -hmm. I have not read that. I guess, so when someone experiences trauma and then when they then experience the embodied healing after that, which might be access through past life regression potentially. Okay. So yeah. So let's just talk a little bit about that. So how does the body actually sort of, you know, store trauma? Mm -hmm. So one of the mechanisms that through which trauma is stored in the body is through our stress response, right? So what happens is it involves the release of our stress cortisol, our hormones, cortisol and adrenaline, right? So 
remember that when we experience stress, and by the way, it's really super, super important for us to remember that a person's perception, not what's really necessarily happening, a person's perception of what's happening in the environment can cause the stress response to occur, right? And that is really, 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 really important. So if we're experiencing a stressor, like imagine the buffalo, buffalo is running at us. Our body is flooded with chemicals to give us the extraordinary ability to fight the buffalo or flee. There is something called the freeze response where things just sort of a little bit short circuit, but I'm not talking about that right now. So we're flooded with those stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline. They're released into the body to give us that extraordinary ability to respond. If trauma is so overwhelming and it persists over a long period of time, what happens in the body is the stress response can actually become dysregulated. And it's that dysregulation of the way that everything works in the body that leads to these ongoing physiological changes in the body. Our nervous system, so our bodies are so beautiful. They really are. It's made for us to survive. Our, as human beings, we're not supposed to. We're not the strongest and the biggest and have the sharpest teeth, right? We aren't. But we have survived because we have this thing called the prefrontal cortex. And if we were to just look at like a hand model of the brain, and I'm just being very, very basic with it, the front part is the prefrontal cortex. This is the part of our brain that we can critically analyze. This is the part where we make decisions. This is the part where we can learn. That's the part that we expect as human beings that is online every time we're walking around, right? Except when we experience stress, maybe you've heard this term called flip your lid. Mm. When we flip our lid, we're not literally flipping it, but Mm -hmm. this is just a hand model of a way to take a look at it, right? In essence, what happens is our prefrontal cortex goes offline, which means that underneath here, the amygdala, which is the one that is involved in the fight or flight. This is the one that gives us those stress hormones to be able to respond. And it's also next to the hippocampus, which is responsible for memory. So we flip our lid when we go outside of our window of tolerance. And we're then given that ability to have to respond. Okay, so amygdala and hippocampus. What happens is, is our nervous system is constantly scanning the environment for threat. And I may not know it because it's under that subconscious mind, but my nervous system is constantly scanning and scanning based on any core beliefs or experiences I've had unresolved from this lifetime or previous, right? But it, it doesn't matter because it's happening on autonomic nervous system level. It's automatically happening because I don't have time to be thinking about it. It just does the work for me. So I'm constantly scanning and scanning and scanning. And so if I perceive something to be threatening, to others, it may be not a big deal. But to me, alarm bells go off. I'm flooded with those chemicals. Outside the window of tolerance, I go, there goes the lid. And now I'm fighting in fight or flight. When that's happening a million times a day, it's not supposed to. When that's happening over and over and over again, that's what causes the physiological changes in the body. Lots of things happen in the body. You know, it affects the heart. It affects your GI system. It affects the way that your brain thinks. And you can even talk epigenetically If we have genetically some certain genes inside of us, another wonderful way to make sure that those express is to have unresolved stress and constantly be flipping our lid. The thing is, is that many of us are not in tune or we've become so efficient and good at pushing all of that away and not leaning into the discomfort to be able to heal that, that we can go decades and decades and decades until little bits and pieces start to pop up and we don't understand why. 
And so that's why it really is all very much connected to the nervous system. It's very much connected to our vagus nerve. Our vagus nerve is the longest nerve in the body. It goes from the base of the skull, goes down the neck, separates at the back, goes behind the ears, goes all the way down, all the way down to the end. I used to, I had a doctor who said, I don't know why you're being all fancy with all of this. All you just need to say is it goes from the hole to the hole. The whole of the head to the whole of the <laughs> That's one way to put it. Like, there well, you go. There you go. Yeah. And I imagine that's also why. But... <laughs> exactly. Well said. I like it. But I imagine that's also why people also experience chronic pain related to trauma as well, right? It's kind of really innovating all parts and we store it if it doesn't then get processed. And we're just constantly in that state of on, wired versus yeah, inflammation. It's mm-hmm. inflammation because of the mm-hmm. cortisol and adrenaline. It's, boop, yeah. boop, boop, boop. it's just it's activating it. it. It really is at the core of all of this. It's learning to get into a relaxed body state. Mm. The issue and, and where the healing comes in is, you know, there's three really important components to healing. Just be with what's there, reduce the negative and build up the positive. Mm. That sounds easy. But much of the work, and especially with my clients, much of the work has to be just being with what's there. Mm-hmm. And once we're with what's there, we can reduce the negative. And then, you know, then, you know, client's like, yeah, thank you so much. I'm out. I'm like, no, no, no. We have to build up the positive. That's right. Still that's right. part of this. That's it. Getting to the neutral part right, mm-hmm. where you're able to tolerate being with that emotion, that felt sense. And as you mentioned, I think we've become so used to numbing and disconnecting, whether it be a learned response because it's a self-protection, right? It's like, oof, this is too painful. Or because we've been conditioned to, you know, Absolutely. it's like a buttercup as well. So there's like a little, you know, two yeah. kind of parts of, to that. So I love that, how yes. you put that with the three. And so as I, you know, we bring it all together, <laughs> I, you know, the last piece that, that comes to mind to me is, you know, I imagine energetically, right? Because I know you also have, have studied energetics. You're a Reiki master. Energetically, someone who's experienced trauma, might feel very different, I imagine, than someone who's gone through the healing process. And I wonder how then you bring in, if you could just touch to it, I know it's a whole other kind of topic, but if you could just touch it just as a curiosity, you know, how does energy work come in? How might this come into the therapy room, if at all? So a lot of psychoeducation, if the clients are open to and what I will do the therapy realm is talk about how we have individual energy centers and these individual energy centers that often are referred to as chakras, they have their own frequency. They carry their own messages or intent, right? Because all frequency carries its own information and they have their own individual consciousness, their own glands, they have their own hormones, their own chemistry. And so, you know, because they have their own little hormones and glands and chemistry, they're kind of their own little individual brains, right? We have a cluster of neurons in each of those centers that acts like an individual brain. So whenever energy is sort of moving into neurological tissue, that's where we can sort of talk about, and Joe Dispenza talks a lot about this, of, of kind of creating mind. That's where we create that, right? So Whenever a certain amount of energy moves into an energy center, right, the glands, the hormones, the chemicals are all released and it begins to produce its own energy. And when energy is activating that neurological tissue, that's when we start to really take a look at that. A lot of starting from the base and moving up those energy centers. But the beauty is, is that when energy moves into the heart, we do know that to be more loving, more selfless, you're more giving, caring, trusting, right? You're more creative because it has its own consciousness. So what we're really wanting to do is a lot of traumas held in that base root stuff and understanding how that when we're doing this sort of work, we're not only impacting your emotions, your feelings, we're physically changing the neurological makeup of your a body and your brain. We're physically changing your brain. We're also changing your energy. And so if they're open to that, 
educating about why that's so important and why we want to move from healing that so that it opens up those energy chakras and it opens up the ability for the energy to move up and beautifully into the heart because when the when it moves into the center we you know we're, we're much more loving and connect and creative and understanding also clients hopefully can understand that when energy moves into a particular energy center we will behave in different ways right so again that's also and that might be a whole nother show for another time but you know we're under the control of our autonomic nervous system and and the limbic brain and all of it is connected energy is connected mirror neurons remembering feeling so because it's all limbic that's why i say feel the feeling never lies whether it's real or it's not we want to follow the feeling and that's going to give us all the data we need to help you take beautiful gosh dr jennifer thank you so much got a feel to heal and and i think your work is such a beautiful representation of the mind body and spirit right? And how that integrates so beautifully. So thank you for all that you do and for sharing your time with us today. And is there any My one, pleasure. Thank any you so final much. words you'd like to leave us with? Be okay with exploring. I love what you just said. Feel <laughs> to heal. Let's get more into leaning in, just being with what's there. I would love for people to put down their phones, put down the distractions, put down everything and just allow themselves a moment of presence. Because once we get into presence, then we can start resonating and connecting with others and start to make real significant changes, not only for ourselves and our energy. When we impact our energy, we impact the energy of those around us. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Align with Ari. Now, if you like this episode, subscribe, rate, review if you feel called, and please share with a soul sister you think would love to hear it. And if you're looking for more support, head to arianarodriguez.com where you'll find some free resources, a quiz, my embodiment toolkit, and coaching services for a more personalized approach. You can also find me at Align with Ari on YouTube or align.with.ari on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening and catch you soon.